Can you hear me? Okay, there we go. Um, first of all, before I, uh, before I get started, I would like to thank all of you guys who, uh, who brought us meals this past month. Um, Abby and the baby and all of our family have very much appreciated the support that our congregation has given us. Abby and, and Adeline uh, wanted to be here this morning. I'm sure Adeline did. That would, would have been her first time. But um, they're at home right now with Bethany. She's, uh, she has one of her, uh, her fevers that she gets. Please remember her in prayer. Um, she, um, she's had those since she was a baby. They're not contagious or anything, but uh, they, are, they have been some concern to us. So please remember to pray for us, and thank you so much for your support. And thank you so much for your prayers, and thank you so much um, for the meals that you've brought us. They have been absolutely delicious. And I've been very well fed this past month, which is nice. But turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, um, to Joshua 1. We'll be reading uh, from verses 1 through 9. As you see maybe there in your, in your handout, this is, the, um, this is the second part of my two-part mini-series that I'm um, preaching from. The first part was at the end of December, and it was from... Um, kind of describing Paul's, uh, I guess, his interaction with his own weakness and his working through his own weakness. Um, It's kind of interesting to me that as Paul was going out and planting churches all around the the Mediterranean there, all around the the pagan world at that time, he was in kind of a similar situation to where Joshua is at the beginning of this book. The... um, the victory, on one sense, had been won. Joshua, Moses, while he was still alive, had led the children of Israel, and they had defeated Og, king of Bashan here, and Sihon, king of the Amorites. The people of God had experienced this, uh, this burst of victory. They were, they were on the, the borders of the promised land now, and God had given them um, this tremendous victory, but they weren't quite in yet. They weren't quite there. They still had the, the Jordan River to cross over, and they still had all of the, their enemies there in front of them. And just like that, it's kind of a similar situation with the church, because all of these churches had been planted, but there, was still, there were still enemies. And we talked about those last time, um, that when we were talking about uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12. But this is the situation in Joshua. There's been victory, but not a complete victory yet. God is still going to work. So let's read. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I will give it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the going down of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful 
to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Um, so this morning I want to focus on that, that phrase there that's repeated three times. It's be strong and courageous. And I'm sure you heard it. It, it stands out more than anything else in this passage. Um, the question is, what is this strength and courage through which God works? What is the kind of strength and courage that he is commanding for us? Um, last time we looked at weakness, the weakness through which the power of God is made perfect. We looked at 2 Corinthians 12. It is the weakness because of which we cannot determine um, the outcomes of our situations, the, the weakness of physical maladies and psychological maladies of spiritual oppression, all of those things, the thorns in the flesh. We talked about all of that. God works through those things. It is the weakness of our inability to control or protect against the people who are working against the progress of the gospel. Um, Those are the weaknesses through which God worked in the life of Paul, and he often left those weaknesses intact. And in our own lives, he leaves weaknesses intact. But here we see in Joshua 1 that God commands strength. He says, be strong, and it's a command. Be strong and courageous. So, what gives? Surely God is not commanding his servant to be strong when what he wants for us is weakness, if that's what he's working through, right? So how does this work out? So maybe, I don't know, maybe the God of the Old Testament has a slightly different plan from his New Testament plan. Um, but hopefully you know that that's, that's not the case. The God of the Old Testament worked through weakness just as much as the God of the New Testament. It's the same God. Um, you can think of David and Goliath, weak young David fighting Goliath. You can think of Job, who was unable to protect himself and his family from all of these horrible things that happened to him. Um, it's the same God. It's the same story. So what is this strength, then, that God requires? What is the strength that he's pushing us toward? Well, the Hebrew word there that is translated be strong, it's a verb, literally means be strong. That's right. The, uh, the translators nailed it on this one. It's, it's pretty, much a, pretty much a one-to-one correlation. You can trust your English Bibles there. Um, it's almost identical in meaning. The, the word, it, uh, it's a little bit broader maybe, and it can be translated be firm or something like that. It can be um, Usually it's, it's not a, a physical, like, muscular strength, but it, it is strength in the, we, in the same way that we use it. It's often used to describe um, the strength of kings going into battle, the strength of armies, um, and a, a personal strength to accomplish something. And likewise, the word here translated courageous basically means courageous. It means having courage. The only, the only thing I want to point out with the meanings of the words is that there's some overlap. Um, our words strength and courage are, are pretty different ideas in our own minds, but it's this firmness that's being driven at, they're almost synonymous. They almost mean the exact same thing. 
It's, it's this, this courageous firmness to accomplish something. And it's usually it's geared toward a, a specific action rather than an internal feeling. You're strong to do, strong to accomplish, that sort of thing. But basically, with the Hebrew, it means the same thing. Um, it's a tough, bold action. So what does the passage then tell us about the character of this strength? What does the, what does the immediate context tell us about this strength? The first thing that we see is that it is a strength that recognizes what God is already doing, what God has done, and what God will do in the future. Uh, We as fallen human beings, we strive for this kind of strength that we can turn on when we need it, that we can just um, fill ourselves up with in order to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. But that's not what this is. It's not, we want kind of the... uh, the strength of the, of the DC Comics supervillain Bane. You remember Bane? He was the one who had kind of an apparatus on the back of his head and the front of his head, kind of like I have right here. And he had an apparatus on his wrist. Anyway, he could, he could press a button on his wrist and these juices would flow into his brain and all of a sudden he would become huge and muscular and be able to do whatever he wanted, be able to throw cars around and stuff like that. He was... The only, the only supervillain to have ever broken Batman. He was so strong. That's the kind of strength we want for ourselves. We want to be able to repeat some kind of mantra. We want to be able to engage in some sort of a spiritual discipline or something like that. And just all of a sudden have the strength to do what we want to do. But that's not, that's not what's in view here. That's not the strength that God has for us. Because we want to be able to hold up our own accomplishments. We want to say, look, God, look what I've done. Or look, look around me. Look, look at the good things, these spiritual accomplishments that I've made through my strength. But that's not what's here. The strength that God has for us is always based on our situation. It's based on what he is doing in our situation and what he has already done. Look at verse 2. It says this. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise cross over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. God is giving them the land. He is the one who is working. He's the one who's accomplishing it. And then in verse 5, it says, uh, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, Joshua's strong, courageous actions are to come in the context of a humble reliance upon what God has already promised. God had already promised the patriarchs as he brought them up out of Mesopotamia, out of Ur of the Chaldees. He had already promised them the land. And that's what the strength is based on. Um, and without God's promises, strength and courage just become meaningless. And fear is the most rational response. So it's in this charge to strength and courage that God is calling Joshua to remember specific instances in Israel's history. And those promises to the patriarchs. And often when God gives a command... He, he does this. He calls, he calls us to remember. He calls his people to remember. 
So in the Ten Commandments, both in Deuteronomy 5 and in Exodus 20, um, what does it start out with? What's the precursor? Before he even gives the command, what is it? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Um, God had been working, and it was imperative for the people to know that he had already accomplished redemption and that he would continue to redeem. You cannot obey, you cannot work if you are not trusting that God has already secured you. You, can't, you do not earn anything by your obedience. Moses realized, while he was still alive, that it would be very important for Joshua to remember that it was God who was fighting the battle. So about 40 years before God commanded Joshua to be strong and courageous to enter the land, Moses was leading the people. He had led them out of Egypt, and he had led them up to the borders of the land. It didn't take them very long that time to get to the borders of the land. And you may know the story. Um, God told Moses to send out 12 spies into the land, right? Remember the song, 12 men went to spy on Canaan? And um, the names of those 12 spies are recorded in Numbers, chapter 13. This is right as they're about to go into the land the first time, 40 years before the events of, of recorded in Joshua 1 here. So in that list, in Numbers 13, of the spies' names, we find one representing the, the tribe of Ephraim. They're all representing their individual tribes. And his name is Hoshea, the son of Nun. And you think, I thought it was Joshua, the son of Nun, right? That's, that's who this is right here. Well, the word Hoshea means salvation. So that's a pretty good name, right? I'll name my kids Salvation. It's a, it's a fun, you know, it's, it's a very positive thing. But it wasn't good enough for Moses back then. Um, it wasn't good enough that his name just be salvation, so he, Moses changed it. He changed that name. At the end of the list, it says this, but Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. He changed his name. Hosea means salvation. Joshua means the Lord saves. So there's a difference. Moses wanted Joshua, every time he heard his own name, to remember that it was not him who was doing the saving. It was not some other God. It was not Moses himself. But to remember that it was the Lord who was saving. It was the Lord who was doing this, who was winning the battle. And Joshua had the opportunity to be reminded of that every time he heard his name, and all the people around him as well. Um, and that, that would have given Joshua a tremendous reason for confidence that God was working with him and through him. And I don't know what those ten weak spies were trusting in. I don't know what they were remembering. I don't know what they were thinking. But ten of them came back with a bad report and said, we're not going to be able to enter this land we're not going to be able to go into the land that God is promising us. They were trusting in something else. They were resting in something else other than the God who had made his promise. But even that, that episode with the spies, that's not the first time Joshua comes into the story. Um, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 
17. Uh, we'll start in, in verse 8. Kind of skip around a little bit, but starting in verse 8. This is, this is the first time we see Joshua, this man who the Lord is commanding to be strong and courageous. Um, it says in Exodus 18, verse 8, this is when they're wandering around in the wilderness before they get to the promised land, the borders of the promised land the first time. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And then if you skip down to verse 13, chapter um, 17. Did I get my chapters right? I did. Exodus 17, um, 13. And so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. God wanted to make sure, absolutely sure, that Joshua would remember these things. He would remember that it was him who was fighting for him. So that Joshua could rest in what the Lord was doing. So that he had Moses write this special book just for Joshua. And he had Moses recite it to him. God is the one who is fighting. That's what it says. As an interesting side note, um, neither this passage here in Exodus, nor back in, uh, in uh, Joshua 1, um, shy away from the coexistence and the effectiveness of the divine sovereignty in human work. So, Who's doing the work here? In, in Exodus 17, who wins the battle? It says, it says Joshua overwhelmed Amalek, right? And it says that it was the Lord who was fighting um, for his people. And then also back in Joshua, if you flip back there, it says uh, in verse 2, it answers the question, who is going to give the people the land? Who's going to give it to them? In verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and your people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. But then down in verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. The authors of Scripture see no contradiction. They don't even see a problem in the fact that God is working and that God accomplishes the victory through human means. There's there's no problem there for them. We work. God gives us effectiveness. God gives us um, strength and courage to accomplish great things, but it is him who is doing it. And he wants us to remember that. It almost sounds like Philippians 2.12, which says, work, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. People throughout time have seen a contradiction there, but the authors of Scripture don't. It is God who works for us. And he works 
um, as we are resting in his work and he accomplishes great things through us. A couple of years ago, um, when Abby and I visited uh, Uganda, we got the, the opportunity to go to a very remote town called Bundabugio. It's hard to say. It's shortened to Bundi. I'll call it Bundi. And this town, it's, um, it's situated right between the Ruwenzori Mountains on the, uh, let's see, this would be your east, right? On the east, and the, um, the Congo River Basin on the west. It's extremely remote. And the mountains are beautiful. They're, they're some of the few mountains in the world that are within 100 miles of the equator, but they have glaciers year-round on top. They're absolutely huge and gorgeous. And the jungle is one of the most vast jungles on the face of the planet um, that's left. And when we visit, and the, that jungle, by the way, is kind of a lawless place, right? On the Uganda side of the border, it's, um, it's pretty safe, it's pretty nice, but then if you cross over into the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's paramilitary groups and all sorts of things. We didn't go there, we stayed in Uganda. But um, this town called Bundi, in the, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, some Presbyterian missionaries went there and they planted churches. They were the first people, I think, to reach this town. And the churches were very successful. There were a lot of people who um, came in. A lot of people were saved. And the churches grew up all over the area. And especially in that little town, it has a road going to it now. It didn't back then. Um, but when Abby and I went to visit that place, there were several people who told us this one story. And they told it on several different occasions. Because they wanted us to know kind of how things go in Bundy. And wanted us to, to get a taste for what it was like. And the story was about a young man, and I could not find out his name. <laughs> I'll call him Bob. His name was almost definitely not Bob. It was probably something I can't pronounce at all. But he, no one wanted to tell me his name, but they told me his story several times. But he was a young man, and he had come to Christ through the work of these missionaries um, who had come in the 90s. And he had been, he'd joined the church. He was a deacon. Um, in the churches that they set up, and he was very prominent in his community. He was uh, very prominent in his family. But one day, one of Bob's relatives died, and Bob had a mental nervous breakdown. He couldn't handle the situation. He got so anxious and got so intense that he had to flee into the jungle, that lawless place, and in Congo. And he was afraid to come back home. He would rather live in the jungle than face the situation at home. So what was the situation at home? Well, it turns out it wasn't so much remorse um, or uh, sadness that his family member had died that drove Bob away. It was fear. Bob was very afraid. And he wasn't so much afraid um, of the physical situation as the spiritual So when that person in his clan had died, the mantle of leadership that that person had had over the whole clan had passed to Bob. And so Bob had that leadership now. He was responsible for his family. And in that part of the world, um, part of having that leadership is performing certain spiritual rituals, performing witchcraft basically to protect the family, to protect the clan from uh, demonic spirits. 
And Bob knew that he couldn't do this. He, was, he had been taught well in his church, and he knew that he couldn't serve both Christs and these spirits. And he was under pressure from his family, and he was under pressure from his church, and eventually he broke. And he fled off into the jungle for several months at a time because he couldn't be syncretistic like his people were. And he knew that. He couldn't bring in the witchcraft and continue in the faith. And so he left. See, Bob was unable to fully grasp and lay hold of what Christ has already accomplished. And so his strength and his courage left him. Christ has conquered the spirit world. And he is extending his rule throughout the universe. I have a lot of sympathy for Bob. I'm someone who's struggled with intense anxiety and the temptation to flee from my responsibilities, and that story really resonates with me, of him. Often I fail to lay hold of, what, of the fact that Christ has already won and that he is working in whatever anxious situations I happen to be in. He's working over and above the powers that I see at work in my life and in my situations. The second characteristic of the strength Um, and the courage that God has for us is that it runs toward faithfulness in God's word. Let's look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that You may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This strength runs towards faithfulness in the word of God. Joshua may have been tempted to think, well, now Moses is dead. God gave the law to Moses. Maybe he's going to give a new law to me. Maybe he's going to abrogate the old law. And God says right off the bat, and very emphatically know that this, this book of the law that I've given you, it stays. God affirms the book of the law, the Torah. He affirms the Bible as they had it in their time. Basically, those, those first five books is what Joshua had, and God affirms the whole thing. And he repeats it twice. He says, he, he links obedience to the law with success. That, uh, that Joshua is going to have, both in verse 7 and in verse 8. He says it two times, two different ways. So this strength is not the ability to, to accomplish what we want, or what we, want, what we see fit. Rather, it is the strength and the courage to follow the commands of God. That's what's in view here. The strength and the courage to follow the commands of God. Now much of the language here in the first verses of Joshua echoes the language in the rest of the law. It's basically rehashing all of what's already been said and framing it in in the context of strength and courage. Um, Interestingly, one of the blessings that is in view here, one of the promises that God gives for obeying the law, is strength and courage. Turn with me over to uh, Leviticus 
chapter 26. And we'll start in verse 3. Starting verse 3, it says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, sorry, where am I? And keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I will give you rains in their season, so that the land will, not, will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear its fruit. And then it goes on to list all of these things that God gives in response, for, uh, in return for keeping the law, that God gives when the people keep the law, rather. And if you read on down the list, it gets really interesting when you get to uh, verses thirty, sorry, verses seven and eight first. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by your sword. So the whole thing is cyclical. <laughs> strength and courage point us to God to obeying God's law, and obeying God's law gives strength and courage. Living within God's will provides us with that strength and courage. And it builds us up. God's will for our lives builds us up. And then if you look down at verses uh, 36 and 37, then the opposite happens. So this is talking about when when all of the judgments come upon them and they forsake God's word. This is what happens. As for those of you who are left, I will also bring weakness into their hearts, in the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a driven leaf will chase them. And even when no one is pursuing, they will flee as though from the sword, and they will fall. They will therefore stumble over each other as if running from the sword, although no one is pursuing. And you will have no strength to stand up before your enemies. So abandoning... God's will for our lives is the very opposite of the strength and courage that is commanded to us. If you reject certain aspects of God's revealed will, he will turn you over to your sin. That's clear in scripture. You will not be able to say, well, I don't care so much about you know, that whole do not commit adultery thing. I want the strength and courage. You can't pick and choose. The Bible presents an all-or-nothing type picture. And I'm beginning to realize that it's more and more common today, even in what are generally recognized to be um, evangelical churches, for people to want to pick and choose which parts of, of God's word to obey or which parts of Christianity they really like. It's almost kind of like a buffet line, you know, that the temptation for us all is to just decide, well, I want this or I want that but I don't want all of it. I want the strength and courage, but I don't want the, um, the confinements upon my life. Um, I recently heard of a, of a couple who, um, they said that they were going to give up sex for Lent, and, which is fine in and of itself. You know, the Bible says... Um, you know, talks about staying apart for the purpose of prayer for a season, that sort of thing. That's interesting. But except for the fact that this couple wasn't married. They were, they were in a dating relationship. And 
um, they didn't see any contradiction with that. They didn't see any contradiction with saying, we'll follow the law of God for this certain time of the year, and that will be our fast. Because they wanted Lent, they wanted the grand traditions, they wanted all of the, um, the things that go along with that, but they didn't want to submit themselves to God. Um, and they got themselves into that silly situation. Now, if you're struggling with sin, then seek help. Seek help from the Word of God and seek help from the people of God. But don't say to yourself, oh, well, it's a good thing that God's not a tyrant. God is not a tyrant. That is true, but he is real. Otherwise, there'd be no point in resting in what he has already accomplished for us if he wasn't real. And if he is real, then we cannot invent him in our own image. We can't create him in the image of what we want. Either he's revealed himself to us, or he's left us in the dark. And if you reject his will, then you have no one left to trust. So the application here is simple. Run away from sin. Run to Christ. Seek to know him through his word. And we heard a sermon on that just a couple weeks ago by Pastor Roundtree, so I won't get into the detail. But suffice it to say, the strength and courage that God has for us doesn't just well up in our, in our soul to place us in a comfortable position. Rather, it drives us to this book. It drives us to the Word of God. Um, the final thing I want us to look at really briefly about this strength and courage that God is commanding us um, is in verse 9. You can flip back there real quick. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Some of your translations might have. Do not fear or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All of these times that it's repeated, be strong and courageous, it's building the emphasis. So it's three times, which means that, you know, when something's repeated in Scripture three times, that means it has utmost emphasis. It means it has utmost importance. But each time that it's repeated, it also gets stronger. The second time it says, only be strong and courageous. It adds that only in the front, just to give it a little bit more emphasis. And then the third time it says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Our English Bibles have an exclamation mark there to show that it's a, there's a crescendo be strong and courageous. Listen up. This is extremely important, and it is a command. But this command also comes with a mirror image negative. Do not fear or be dismayed. Fear is a great danger that Joshua and the people of Israel faced as they were about to enter the promised land. Joshua knew the effects of fear all too well. When he was a young man, he had seen ten of his fellow spies succumb to fear and refuse to see what God was providing for them, his promised land. He watched as the people of Israel listened to the advice of cowards rather than to himself and to Caleb and Moses. And because of their cowardice, Joshua and his family and all the rest of the people of Israel 
were forced to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years when they could have been planting their own vineyards, planting their own crops in green places, pasturing their sheep in good lands. 40 years they had to spend with, in the wilderness because of that fear. And most of, or Joshua had to see almost all of his peers die in the wilderness because of that fear. Now fear, the kind of fear that causes people to fall back from following God according to his word, is not just something to be pitied, it's a devourer. It's something that takes over. It's something that's strong. Fear was, for them, that little death that brought the final judgment of God. Now, Pastor Mark Boucher preached a sermon not too long ago um, about the fear of God, the biblical fear of God. So I'll refer you to that. But in the absence of that fear, the fear of God, these little fears start to take over. They start to drive us and determine our actions. And Bundabugio, for Bob, for a lot of the people there, it was the fear of the spirit world. They were still scared of that, and that fear drove them. In my own life, it has been the fear of man, the fear of people's words, the fear of their opinions that has drawn me into sin. I have been harsh and even cruel because I have feared people's opinions. I have feared being trapped in impossible situations. I have traded the peace that God offers for this useless anxiousness that serves no one. God has also at times worked strength and courage in my life, and I've seen that in my own life. But what about you? What has caused you to tremble? caused you to run away from the counsel of God. Most of you know what is right and what is good. If not, then look at the Ten Commandments or look at any of the lists in the New Testament. In Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruits of the... Uh, yeah, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. You know what's good. You know what's right. So ask yourself, what fears drive you away from these things? And take those fears and bring them to Christ. Trust in Him. Because he loves you. Now if you would, finally, turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And we start reading in verse uh, 34. Um, Interestingly, while you're turning there, the name Joshua in Hebrew is repeated many, many times in the New Testament. All over the place. But it's repeated in its Greek form. You know what the Greek form of the word Joshua is? It's Jesus it's almost identical, um, the, two, the two words in the original text. And the author of Hebrews knew this, and so he used that word Joshua um, to make a, com- a comparison or a contrast. In, in chapter, back in chapter 4 of Hebrews, we're looking in chapter 11, but back in chapter 4, he points out that it's clear that Joshua was not able to lead the people into their ultimate rest. He wasn't able to do that. That would remain for a greater Joshua. So Hebrews chapter 11. Um, now this is the hall of faith talking about the, all of the, um, the things that people have done. Cr- trusting in what Christ has already done. Starting in verse 34 it says this. They quenched the power of fire. 
escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, those fears, those weaknesses, and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for leading us into this greater rest. I do thank you for becoming our sacrifice and our great leader. I thank you for drawing us into places where we could not have gone of our own. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and this courage to face the things that, that you call us to go through on a daily basis, on a weekly, monthly, yearly, lifelong basis. Pray, Lord, that you would empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the word of your gospel. In Jesus' name.